All right, good evening everybody. I'm glad to have you out uh, for our evening service. And as you can see on the screen below me, we're gonna be covering 2 Corinthians chapter eight. So if you'd like to open your Bibles to that spot. Um, if you do not have a Bible handy at the moment, I am gonna try to keep the verses going uh, to the screen next to me. So please feel free to make use of that as well. Uh, for those of you that know, and many of you would, uh, for quite some time I was covering 2 Corinthians verse by verse in our Sunday school hour. And then uh, things went sideways with my voice, so I had to cut back on my speaking schedule just a bit. And uh, our assistant pastor, Garrett, he began teaching First Thessalonians in Sunday school. And it's been quite some time since I've had a chance to really get into 2 Corinthians at all, verse by verse. Uh, maybe a couple years, if memory serves. And the last time I taught, it was actually a few months ago, I had one or two weeks where I was able to teach and we were in the middle of chapter eight. Uh, what I'm gonna do is start again at the beginning of chapter eight, rather than go back and start the book all over again. We're just gonna pick it up at the beginning of chapter eight. <clears throat> Sorry, and Lord willing, um, just remind you at the very least of some very important things. And uh, to be honest, as I've studied this chapter, the Lord showed me a, a few new things about it. So I hope that the, it, that will also be a help and a blessing to you. All right, so in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm going to give you an outline for the chapter just so that you know where we're heading with this. And what I'd like to do, even before I get into the outline, because there's certainly some, some things that I'd like to take my time and explain here, let's, let's if you would, uh, bow your head with me. Let's pray and ask God to help us tonight. Father, thank you for this privilege. And this is your word, and therefore we need your help. Lord, we believe that you inspired these words, you've preserved these words, and they are important to us. They reprove, they correct, they give instruction for righteousness. They're given to us so that we have the right doctrine. Please, Lord, stir our hearts with your word tonight and help me as I explain it. Let my voice be strong, let my words be clear, and Father, work in our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, so as you can see below me, the outline for the chapter. The chapter is uh, about the grace of giving. If you just look at the chapter by itself, it's about, it's about uh, financial matters and Christians being generous. Uh, so let's take a look at the chapter. Part one, example of other churches. Paul is going to try to stir up the Corinthian church to get involved in the grace of giving. And verses 1 to 5, we'll be seeing how he uses the example of some other churches and how generous they were to try to provoke, in a good way, the Corinthian church to, to this good work. Verse 6, we'll deal with how Titus is being sent to teach them more about the grace of giving. Verse 7, aspire to perfection. Now, of course, I'll uh, flesh that out a bit more when we get to it, uh, unpack that more. Uh, but Paul knows that the Corinthians, they are, let's say, goal-oriented people. And if you're going to do it, do it right. You know, if you're going to go, go hard, go all the way. So aspire to perfection. Verse 8, prove your love. Uh, of course, we'll talk more about, <clears throat> more about how that works itself out in, 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 in verse 8. Verse 9, the example of Christ. Verses 10 to 12, no shame in past failures. Now, I think that's important because this church at one time had decided to get involved 
in the grace of giving, and then for whatever reason, they didn't follow through. And now Paul is saying, listen, guys, it's, you can pick up where you left off and even go further. Verses 13 to 15, a balance of support. And this is one of the new things that I learned about this chapter. Uh, very, a very practical look at it. But one of the concerns I think people have about giving is, and it's a legitimate concern, right? To say, if I, if I take the resources God is giving me and I give it to others, who's going to take care of me? Don't I have a responsibility to provide for my own needs and the needs of my family and pay my bills? That's a legitimate thing to, uh, to consider before you give. And in those verses, Paul deals with the balanced approach that, uh, that the Bible gives us on this. And then for the rest of the chapter, verses 16 to 24, Titus and company. So there's fellow uh, laborers, other messengers that Paul is sending along with Titus to come and collect uh, the offering that the Corinthians should be taking up. And Paul is just preparing them for that, for that journey that, or for these visitors, rather, in the journey that they'll be taking. And Paul explains a little bit as to why he's sending not only Titus, but some others with him. So that's what we're going to be looking at in this chapter. Now, if you just look at the chapter, it's about giving. However, I, I want to I put this out there as well. Get involved. Get involved. If you want to learn even more, dig even deeper into this chapter than just the, the one theme of, of generosity as it pertains to finances. Paul is trying to get the Corinthian church involved in the ministry. In chapter 8, involved in the aspect of giving. But if you look at the greater context, I'm going to show you some verses now all the way back to chapter 5. Paul is trying to get this church involved in the ministry at large, in every facet, every aspect of it. So get involved. And you're going to see how, yes, what we're looking at pertains to money and generosity, but there are, there are some very precious lessons you can learn. And I have been, as the Bible says in Hebrews, provoked unto love and to good works. After studying this afresh, I want to get involved, right? And I, I, I think I am in the middle and the thick of things here, but this chapter has made me want to get involved, stay involved in the work of God. All right, so with that being said, let me take this down and let's look at the text itself. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 1, moreover, moreover. And we can stop right there for a moment. Moreover. This means that Paul is carrying over, or let's say building on a certain point that he's been driving home. So I've made this point, this point, this point, more, oh, let, let's, make, let's put another, another brick in this building. Let's put another layer on this, moreover. So what is he building on? What's the point he's trying to drive home? And as I just mentioned, I'm going to show you some verses now in uh, 2 Corinthians 5. And not, if you've been with us in church not too long ago, we looked at these verses, we looked at this passage in some detail, uh, especially during our missions conference, I believe. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to take you to 2 Corinthians 5. Let's just get verse 17 with it because it's a great verse. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 
Now, the reason I, I like to include that verse with the rest of the context is so that you see what we're reading does not apply to ministers in the church, you know, pastors, deacons, ordained offices, apostles. It's not only for them. Anybody that is a new creature needs to pay attention to what comes next. Verse 18, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So Paul is telling them, guys, as new creatures, God has given us a ministry. And at the end of verse 19, he's committed unto us the word of reconciliation, which is, of course, the gospel. That is what reconciles sinner to God. And to be perfectly honest, it's the same thing that reconciles sinner to sinner, right? Two people that are struggling to get along. If you want to fix that thing, there's going to have to be forgiveness on one or both parts. And you learn about true forgiveness through the cross of Christ. That's, that's where you're going to learn the greatest lesson of it. So the gospel is truly the word of reconciliation. In verse 20, look at the point he's driving home. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. We are ambassadors. What's he trying to stir up in the Corinthians? He's reminding them. I think they already knew this, but he's reminding them. Guys, we've been given this great privilege. We represent the Lord Jesus Christ. It's our job to be reaching out to those around us and trying to bring them into a relationship with God through Christ, through the atonement that he's made. You can see that in verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now I'm going to take you one chapter further. I'm going to try to anyway. Um, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 1. Now remember when Paul wrote this, he didn't have chapter uh, divisions. He didn't have verse divisions, you know, the, the verse markings. So this flows into his next thought. After telling them, as new creatures, we have this ministry, he says, we then, as workers together with him. I really would encourage you to meditate on that phrase, workers together with, with Christ, with God. What a privilege. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. So guys, you've been given this wonderful privilege. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Take it seriously. Now, the, the temptation is to go quickly back through chapter 6 and chapter 7 so we can get the fullness of the, of the point that Paul is making, trying to draw them in, get them involved, show them what's required for the ministry. But the Corinthian church, you see, they had... They had gotten confused a little bit. Some false preachers had come through. They begin to look at Paul in a different light. And in order for this church to come right, rather than Paul, now Paul does defend himself. We'll see this later on in the book. He does explain why he says what he says, does what he does. But he knows that the best way for things to come right in this church is for them to get involved again with ministering to people. Now, in chapter 5, 6, a little bit of 7, you see that it has to do with preaching the gospel to others. It has to do with ministering to others on a spiritual level. But then in chapters 8, 9, even into 10, he gets into supporting them 
with these physical needs. Delivering money to the poor saints in Jerusalem is where he's going to take that. All right, so I'm going to bring you back to 2 Corinthians 8 now, and we'll keep moving through this passage. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So guys, I want you to know, he says, I'm trying to get you involved. Don't waste the grace that God has given you. I want you to use everything, all the resources God has made available to you, whether that's the word of reconciliation or food, clothing, money. He says, guys, let me tell you what God is doing down the road in Macedonia. I want you to know that that word to wit, it's just an old English way of saying to know something. We do you to know. We want you to know about the grace of God that has been shown in the churches of Macedonia. Now, Macedonia, that's the name of a territory. We might call it a province. And within that that area, there were three, uh, let's say, local churches that we would be familiar with from the book of Acts. You have the Philippians, you have the Thessalonians, and you have the Bereans. Now, we don't have a lot of information about the Bereans, but we do. In Acts 17, we know that Paul went, went there and that uh, there were several conversions. Those were the guys that searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And, and if you look at a map, those three areas, uh, the cities, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, very close together on the map. He says, guys, let me tell you what God is doing there. In verse 2, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. So what he wants to present first here is that these churches, they're going through some tough times, tough times. A great trial of affliction. I believe he's referring specifically to the persecutions that they were enduring. However, there, there are other ways to feel a trial of affliction, right? Uh, the Philippians, as we see it, and it's mentioned here in the verse, they had deep poverty. You can be afflicted in, in that way, not having enough to eat or drink or uh, uh, shelter, you know, a good place to sleep, uh, clothing. That, that can also be an affliction. But as you read through First and Second Thessalonians, as you read in the book of Acts, these areas, they did receive a lot of persecution. Now, in the midst of this, these churches still had two things, an abundance of two things. They had a lot of poverty, deep poverty. I've often explained it like having nothing in your pockets, but actually your pockets have holes in it. <laughs> so that even if anything went in, it just it, you wouldn't be able to retain it. They're deep, deep poverty. And they had a lot of joy. That's wonderful because... So many people, they try to find joy in things, right? If I have enough things, then I feel joy. We, we, we know, right? We know that shouldn't be the case. We know that our happiness and joy should not be linked to things. But these Christians got to live that. They got to experience it. Where, what's the source of their joy? If they don't have enough to eat, if they don't have the, enough clothing, what's the source of joy? They have something eternal going on within them. They have the very source of joy. They, the, the purpose of their creation. They were made, as all of us were, they were made in order to fellowship with God and they have achieved the chief goal of man 
they are in fellowship with God. The world hates them. The world's trying to kill them, exterminate them. They can't find work in their areas. Possibly there's a famine. There's tough times. Maybe COVID went through that area. No matter what the case was, they, they still were able to have joy. Now, when you go back and read the book of Philippians, and by the way, if you didn't uh, if you didn't have time to tune in or if you didn't have a chance to listen to Francois, Brother Francois teaching through the book of Philippians, he did a, a wonderful job with that. And if you get time, I, I would really encourage you to, to go and sit and, and listen to, to how uh, he taught that. He did such a good job. But one of the things you see in there is that this church in Philippi, they were desperately poor, but all through the book of Philippians, it's all about joy. And Paul is in prison right? He is in affliction, writing to people that are in affliction, and the whole, all four chapters, it's about joy. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. From the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, look at what sprung from this. They abounded, it abounded, this condition abounded unto the riches of their liberality. They were not generous, extremely generous, he said, Brother Mike, don't you have to have a lot of resources in order to be generous? Let's, let's, be, let's be careful that we deal with this realistically. You do have to have something in order to give something. You can't give what you do not have. However, just because you have a lot doesn't mean you're going to be generous. What must you have in order to be generous? You have to start with the right attitude. You have to start with this joy, with this, and we're going to see in verse 3, this willingness to be a blessing. That's what this church had. They were so excited to be saved that parting with whatever resources they could gather together, that was a joy to them. That only added to their joy. This shows us that they... Their joy was not rooted in how much they had, right? Physically speaking, earthly speaking. Their joy was rooted in knowing God and helping others know God and being a blessing to them for Christ's sake. Those kind of things brought them great joy. Can I point out something else about verse 2 before we move on? The churches of Macedonia could have used their circumstances as a legitimate excuse to not get involved but they didn't. They didn't. No excuses. Things were rough, and yet they found a way to get involved. I want to ask you, do you use your circumstance as an excuse not to be involved in the work of God? You say, Pastor, I don't have much. You don't need much when it comes to the things of this world. You, you need to have this willingness, this joy, this understanding of what life is all about, that I have a relationship with God. I'm able to help others have that relationship with God. I can make a difference. And if you want to be involved, you won't look at your circumstance as an excuse not to do something, but you'll look at it and deal with it realistically and say, listen, I may not be able to do much, but let me work with what I do have. Look at verse 3. 
for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. What's he saying? They did what they could I, for to their power. They did what they could with what they had. And then Paul acknowledges that they, they were prepared to do more if they had more. That's what the last part of the verse is all about. I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. So obviously you can't give what you don't have. But they were, if the resources came their way, they were willing, they were willing beyond their power. So we wish we could do more. I, this attitude, you see how this can be beneficial, not just in the area of giving, not just in the, in the case of money, but just in any, in any general sense. This would help tremendously. Beyond their power, they were willing. Notice this last phrase, willing of themselves. Can I show this to you? In, um, if you want to use the original language here just for a moment. I want you to see willing of themselves. Do you see how this, the, the phrase they were, that's in italics. Uh, that's understood naturally from, from the context. And that's why those words are there. But willing of themselves comes from this Greek word. I, I don't know. Can you see that on your screen? I don't think you can. Oh, shame. I just realized that you may not be able to see that on your screen. No, I don't think you can. Um, willing of themselves. Let me see. Is there any way I can move that over? No. In any event, I, I don't know if you can see it. If you have a Bible app or program, maybe you can look it up for yourself. But I'll just pull it up. You can see a little bit of it, I think. Authoritarios, um, authoretos, I think is the proper pronunciation for this word. One Greek word. And it can be translated self-chosen, voluntary, of one's own accord, willing of self. So this is a fine translation, willing of themselves, self-chosen. Here, here's what I find so interesting about this. To be willing of themselves, nobody had to remind these churches of Macedonia to get involved. They, they were ahead of the game. They were already... Nobody had to uh, set an alarm clock or, or come and wake them up, say, hey guys, there's something going on. They were so eager willing of themselves. No one, they didn't even need a sermon to get involved. No one had to push them. No one had to remind them. No one had to force them. Willing of themselves. You know, there's quite a few times in the New Testament you find phrases like this. Let me give you one that's not linked to this context, but you find the same, the same wording used. Ephesians 5.22. You know, I, I can do it, so let me show it to you. This is worth seeing, I believe. Like I said, different, different context. But look at how that's worded. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Do you see that phrase, submit yourselves? You should have enough initiative. Take the initiative. Take it upon yourself. Choose yourself. Volunteer. Here am I. Send me. Lord, I want to get involved. I don't have much. I don't know what I can offer. I don't know how big of a difference I can make. 
but toss me in your pond, God, and let my ripples go as far as they can. Willing of themselves. You know, it's a strange and a sad irony. There are people, lots of people, that want to help beyond their power, but can't. They're, they're physically or financially or whatever. They just have restraints in their lives and they just can't do as much as they would like. And then you find others that have all the resources, that have the health, that have the time, that have the money. The problem is they lack the desire. If we could just marry the two together, imagine what we could accomplish. Verse number eight, Paul's continuing his, the point he's making, using the churches of Macedonia as an example, trying to provoke the Corinthian church to learn from this example. Praying us with much entreaty. This is an old way of saying they begged us. They begged us. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. So the, Corinth, or the uh, churches of Macedonia had taken up an offering, we're not told how much it was, doesn't matter, but they had taken up an offering they, and it was being sent to the poor saints in Jerusalem. Right? So there was a massive famine that had hit that area and these churches had heard that the church in Jerusalem was suffering. They wanted to help them out. Isn't this something? Even though they themselves, the Macedonian churches, were in deep poverty, let's send something to these folks. It reminds me, doesn't it remind you of that story in Mark 12 where Jesus is in the temple watching people cast money into the treasury and many rich people came in and cast in much, but then that widow comes and cast in two mites and Jesus says she has cast in more than all the others, right? And I think it's obviously it's not a numbers thing. It's not the quantity, but it's it's her willingness. It, maybe you could think of it as a percentage thing because she did give all that she had. But I think Jesus is looking at the heart. And that's why it meant more that she gave what she did. You can see how much it means to these Macedonians. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. So I mentioned it in this morning's sermon. Uh, th this word fellowship, it has to do with participation. So th these Macedonians come to Paul and say, Paul, please take our money. Please take our money. We want to participate. We want to be part of the action. We want to get involved. And I believe, now I'm, I'm, I'm reading between the lines, I admit, but I think maybe you'll agree with me on this, that Paul at first did not want to take their money. Now, like I said, Paul doesn't say that here. That's not a, there's no verse in the Bible that says that. But I, I think maybe we learn we can indirectly learn that from what Paul's saying. Because he says, they had to beg me, praying us with much entreaty. Why would they need to entreat Paul much? Why would they need to beg him if upon their first offer, Paul immediately received it? But the fact that they had to say, please, please, please take it, tells me that Paul, at first, he, he didn't want to abuse their kindness. Paul, knowing their deep poverty, probably told them, guys, you know, I know the, the, the saints in Jerusalem need this money, and I'm sure it's going to be a blessing, but wow, you guys need it also. Just hang on to it. 
And these Macedonians said, no, man, come on. God will take care of us some other way. Don't you worry about that. We are more interested in being part of helping those saints. We want to be part of that fellowship, participate. In verse 5, he says, and this they did. So obviously Paul gave in, took their took the offering that they had prepared. This they did, not as we hoped. Not as we hoped. But first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Paul says we got much more than just their money. We got, they exceeded our expectations. They exceeded our expectations. Not as we hoped. Right? What was the, in what way did they excel? They first gave their own selves to the Lord. This, right, this is what allowed the Macedonian churches to excel the expectations. To get so much done with so little is they first gave their own selves to the Lord. And then they also gave themselves over to the preacher in this case, to Paul. Said Paul, I mean, Paul is going around establishing these local churches. Paul is sending out other fellow laborers to help organize the efforts of these churches. And these Macedonians says, if there's any anything we can do to be a blessing to you, Paul, I would assume when he says unto us, he's referring to these fellow laborers as well. Now, now I love how Paul qualifies it. They gave themselves unto us by the will of God. There's not, it's not a slavery type issue, Paul. We want to serve you and be your servant. Paul, we want to help you. We want to be a part of the church and, and do what we can according to the will of God, right? In line with God's plans and purposes. But they exceeded the expectations, not as we hoped. Not as we hoped. You know, in the day and age in which we live, there's so many times that we get discouraged when we hear stories of Christians that have either turned their back on Christ or hypocrisy in the church or some scandal. I mean, those things abound and they're painful. They hurt. But thank God there are some Macedonians out there. Even to this day, we can look around and find some people that are exceeding the expectations. They are going above and beyond the call of duty. When I got to Malawi, um, I found a living expression of deep poverty. That whole country seems to be in it constantly. And I really did wonder sometimes, you know, is the work of God going to be hindered because there's just no resources? It seems as if I'm going to be here doing one big humanitarian work. And... I tell you, after almost nine years of being there, I was so pleasantly surprised to see not one or two or five or ten, but to see dozens and dozens of, of men and women that gave. They gave of their resources, and it started, that whole generosity, that attitude of generosity, it started with them giving themselves over to God and getting involved in the church. I... I never would have dreamed that God would 
do such a wonderful work amongst those people. I, and, and I say that it's not that I doubted the, the, the power of God to do it. I just didn't think that I would ever get to be in the midst of it and see it happen right in front of me. I remember one church service. I had taught this church, the first church we started. I'd, I'd done, I think, six or seven weeks. I did a series of lessons on giving. Now that might, that might uh, seem a bit strange to you, to be in the poorest country in the world and do a series of lessons on giving. But that's what the Lord had led me to do and I wanted to be obedient. And I tell you what, I don't think anybody had taught them about giving because th they just ate it up. And I got to see joy and deep poverty come together and produce generosity because there was a willingness. There was a willingness. They wanted to be a part of what God was doing. I remember the, the last lesson I taught in that series. Uh, they, I did the series in Sunday school, during Sunday school hour. So in Malawi, our church services, you have the Sunday school hour, and then immediately you pray. You don't take a break. You go right into the singing, and then you have the main service after you sing for quite a while. So you, after you sing for a while, you do some announcements, you take up an offering, you sing a little more, then you go to preach. So that morning, we did the lesson, and then we stand to sing. We sing for a while, we do the announcements, and then when it's time to offer, uh, to give the offering in Malawi, people sing and dance and clap and whistle, and if you know the term ululate or ululate, you know, that thing, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I can't do that very well, but... They were, and that's how our offerings were. I must admit, I miss that. That, when the Bible says to give cheerfully, right? I, I can't help but think of how they, how they acted during their offering time. But this particular day, the, the Spirit of God just started to move. And we were, we were about 100 people packed in a very small room. If you know the size of the, of the hall that we now meet in, one-fourth of that, maybe. And we had about 100 people shoved into that little space. And so we're standing, we're singing, we're dancing, we're clapping. And people started to come forward. And, and you would sing and dance and kind of march your way forward. You'd dance forward and then there would, there's a basket right next to the pulpit. You'd put your offering in the basket. And then you'd sing and dance and go back to your, uh, to your seat. And I couldn't believe it. People came up and, you know, put a little money in, put a little money in. One lady came up and took her ring off of her finger and put it in the offering plate. That same lady turned around, came back, took her watch off, put it in the offering plate. That same lady got back to her seat, turned around, came back, took her shoes off. Guys, she only had one pair of shoes and put her shoes under the offering plate. We had a man who was watching this happen, and I, our hearts began to break. Tears were running down my face. And my assistant pastor at the time, Ashbad Muntali, he, he danced his way to the front, and he took off his suit jacket, which, again, to, to me, you know, I have four or five of those. He only had one. He took it off folded it up, put it in the offering basket. 
I, it, it was a, such a unique experience. It was, I told them, our, our, the series is done on giving. Now it's time to do something with it. And they did. That offering went probably three or four times as long as any of our offerings did because people kept coming up and kept giving. And it didn't stop there. The next week, the people kept doing it. A man brought four or five pair of trousers and it packaged them up and put them in the offering plate. We had a man pushing a wheelbarrow up the mountain because our the, the schoolroom where we met was up on the top of a hill. He was pushing a wheelbarrow up a mountain, up, up this hill, if you, if you will, and with a 50 kg sack of maize in it. And he wasn't a young man. I had to send some younger men out, out, of, the, out of the service to go help him with the wheelbarrow. Oh my goodness, the way that those people gave. Not as we had hoped. Not as we had hoped. They exceeded my expectations. That's for sure. You know, I, I, I keep wanting to quote the verse, Ephesians 3, where Paul says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. You just never know what God will do with people that are willing. Now think of this. Let's step back. Let's zoom out for a moment. What's Paul trying to do? He's trying to say, hey, church at Corinth, you don't have any excuse. No excuses. No excuses. The churches in Macedonia, they got the job done. Why? They had completely given themselves over to God. They gave themselves over to the local church. They were willing. You see what Paul's doing. There's the example. Now, if you're a Corinthian reading this, you have to begin to do a little introspection and, and, and think, now, if they could get it done in their condition, what's stopping me? Why can I not get more involved? Now, in verse number six, we go to the next part of the outline. I'm just going to pop it back up to remind you. So we can look at the example of other churches, and you can even break this down a little further and just say the example of other believers. I think that's the heart and soul of Hebrews 10, um, verse 24 and 25, that we consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. I think that's the heart of what Paul's trying to do in that first section. But then in verse 6, Paul takes us to another, another thing that he mentions in, in an attempt to get the Corinthians' attention so that they get involved. And that is, Titus is willing to teach them. So verse 6, it says, Insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Now, if you might remember, chapter 7 we, we saw that Titus had spent some time in Corinth. We're not exactly sure how long, but he had spent a good amount of time there. And he had come back to Paul with a very good report. He said, you know, the church of Corinth, there were problems there, right? There was a part of that church that was turning against Paul, but there were also quite a few people there that loved Paul. And he could see overall a lot of potential in this church. And Paul's saying, you know what? After Titus got back and brought us this good report, he says, guys, we see the potential is there with you. We're sending somebody. We're sending Titus, who you know. We're sending him back to help you 
fully understand and fully realize your potential in in this particular area. He is going to come back and, and he's begun. He's already been teaching you guys quite a bit. And obviously not just about giving, but about the Christian life in general. He says he's going to come and help you get all of this straightened out so that you understand the purpose of giving, the structure of it, why we do it, who's getting it, answer all your questions. Now let me Before we move out of this verse, um, two things I want to talk about. Number, let me circle back to the fact that it's so important that Paul wants to send somebody to teach. I'm, I'm going to circle back to that. If I forget it, please remind me. <laughs> but uh, let me just give you a quick verse uh, on this grace. You see at the end of verse 6, he says, to finish in you the same grace also. So Paul refers to this generous giving as, as grace. Let me give you a passage here in Romans 12, verse, uh, let's start in verse hmm, 3. Romans 12, 3. You see the, the Bible app here gives the title Gifts of Grace. That's, that's a pretty good title for this. Romans 12, 3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So God's given you something to work with, spiritually speaking. Verse uh, 4, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So obviously, not every body part works the same way. Every part of the body has different specialities, but they're all important, right? Whatever the ability is, use that ability. And then he lists them off in verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So grace, this is God giving you something that you didn't deserve. In this case, giving you this ability, to something you can use to benefit others. And there's such a, a vast array of things we can use. You can be preaching. Let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. And prophesying, that's just speaking forth the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Verse 7, ministry. Let us wait on our ministering. Teaching. Uh, verse 8, he that exhorteth on exhortation. That's a certain kind of preaching. You can also say that it's just somebody who likes to encourage others and, and knows how to do that. Knows how to stir them up. Uh, notice what it says next. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. And then he goes on to talk about he that ruleth with diligence. That'll be important in a, in a short while in our context in 2 Corinthians. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So you see there's so many things that you could do to be involved. But giving is mentioned in the, in the list of the gifts of grace. So remember now, when it comes to spiritual gifts, let me take us back to our context here. When it comes to spiritual gifts, it's not as if you get saved and God says, okay, here's a few gifts that you're going to have. This is all you get for the rest of your Christian life. Work with that. That's not how the Christian life works. Yes, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in and, be, and shows you how to use whatever abilities you have for God's glory to accomplish God's will. But then as you go, you should continue to grow and you learn more and more 
about the Christian life, you learn how to use different tools, if I can say it like that. You can acquire new abilities as you go. You can pray for them. You say, God, please teach me how to do this. Make me a better giver. Make me a better uh, ruler, you know, a governor over this particular ministry or operation or what, whatever the case is. Make me a better preacher. Make me a better teacher. All those things that Paul just listed off. You can learn as you go. This idea that you go down to the altar and somebody lays hands on you and bam, you immediately get this gift and now it's just a miraculous thing. You're able to go out and minister all of a sudden. Listen, I know that God can do miracles. I get that. I'm not against that. But many of these spiritual gifts, it takes time. It takes desire. It takes humility so that you can learn. And as you can see in verse 6, it requires a Titus. Look at how this works so that you understand the grace of God. God says, all right, here's what you need to do, and I'll give you a little, here's some resources. The Corinthians had some money. They just didn't know exactly how to put it to use for God's glory. So we need Titus to come and explain it more uh, fully so they can wrap their heads around it and finish in them that same grace. So God got you started, but now we need to help you finish the journey. So this tells me something about spiritual gifts, that one of the ways that God distributes them to people and helps them, let's say, cultivate that ability or that gift is through these uh, preachers and teachers and the, if I can say, the, the authority in the local church. Now, I'm, I've carefully used that, that phrase because, let me show you, if I can press the right buttons, I will show you. Let me show you how Christ set this up. You, you might know the passage well, but in Ephesians 4, and uh, here I can refer you back to Garrett's teaching on, on the book of Ephesians. If you didn't have a chance to catch that this year, he, he also did a wonderful job with this, with this book. But we're talking about Christ going back to heaven. And after he did, he gave gifts unto men. You can see that in verse 7. Now, the gifts that he gave, it, in verse 11, Paul expands on that. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So God equips these men and then sends them out to teach others. To what end? Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, to complete them, to complete them, to teach them. You have the Holy Spirit within you. Here's the goal. Here's the plan. Here's how you can use the tools that God has put in your toolbox to accomplish this goal. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, show you how to do it, to work alongside of you, to offer an example to you as to how it should be done. For the edifying of the body of Christ, to build each other up, to add to each other. Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So this is where somebody like Titus, one who is sent, he's deployed to go to Corinth and help these Christians grow. 
to help them get better grounded in, in their faith, in Christ's faith. Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every, sorry, for every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Now, back in 2 Corinthians, and this is what I wanted to circle back around to, in verse 6, in so much, Paul saw what God was doing in the Macedonian churches, and he said, this stirred me up. In so much, right? That You got to catch that bridge word there. So what happened in Macedonia stirred Paul, provoked Paul to say, Titus, you know, I'm glad God's doing something in Corinth, but... I would love to see what's happening in Macedonia also happen in Corinth. Please go back and and help them get this part right as well. Now, if you're one of the Corinthians, what does this tell you? This tells you, man, this must be pretty important because we do have some things right. We're going to see it in verse 7. They abounded in several things, faith, utterance, knowledge, and so forth. They had several things right. But man, this must be really important if Paul is bringing in or bringing back, in this case, somebody to teach us more about the topic. We've got to pay attention to it. So if you're a Corinthian church member, this helps convince you to get involved. Verse 7, verse 7, therefore, as ye abound in everything. Now, this, remember, I just want to point this out before we go into all the verse. This is now the third point of the outline, third part of the chapter, aspire to perfection. Paul is, he knows that this Corinthian church, there is a desire within them to, to be complete in their faith. So he's saying, guys, you're doing so well in these other areas. Don't let this one other thing lag. Make sure that you're careful to have a well-rounded, balanced, full uh, effort to please the Lord. As you abound in everything, in faith. What, what, what would that be? What, what are we talking about in faith? In faith, this is applying the promises of God. Now, I, I think it could be a... Faith is a very broad term, but I think the way Paul is using it is when God reveals to you, this is how I'm going to operate in your life. This is what I am going to do for you, provide for you, the doors I'm going to open for you. They abounded in that. They were able to apply the promises of God as God revealed them, revealed the promises to them in faith. In and utterance, and utterance. So they abounded in utterance. Now, utterance obviously is referring to speaking. I think we could say that the Corinthians, this wouldn't mean that they were a bunch of loud mouths, although they probably had a few there like any church, any town does. But utterance, that is, they were willing to speak. They weren't shy to speak up. They probably had some eloquent speakers amongst them. But utterance also, we we can't ignore the Corinthians. They had this thing with languages. They did. They they overemphasized that to the point of vainglory. And this is why Paul had to get on to them in 1 Corinthians 14 to say, guys, while you're in the church, let everything be done unto edification. 
don't show up to show off. And that's what the Corinthians were doing. They'd show up and say, look at how many languages I could speak. Paul says, guys, that's, that's not why we're doing this. That's, that's not what the church service is for. The people didn't come to be your audience for that. But that being said, they were still gifted, talented. They had great ability to speak multiple languages. And that's a great thing. You see how that tool, if you give the proper direction to a person, they can use that in a great way to reach a lot of people. They abounded in that. And knowledge. Now, again, that's a very broad term, but the Corinthians, they, they were intelligent people. Intellectually, they could follow along and keep up with what was being explained to them. And in all diligence, they were on top of the duties that a local church would have, that the individuals within that church would have. They were diligent about that. If there were various ministries, I think of the one in Acts 6, right, where they ministered to the widows daily, the daily ministration, that kind of thing. They were diligent about that. They stayed on top of those things. And in your love to us. Now, this is what Titus had just recently reported. And Paul had some experience with the Corinthians expressing their love to him. Now, again, some of them had issues, but there were several Corinthians that they weren't shy about telling Paul how special he was to them. He says, you guys are doing so good in all these other areas. How about you also put in a, put in a real genuine effort in the area of, of generous giving? Don't lag behind in that. Aspire to perfection. Aim to be complete. He says at the end of verse 7, See that ye abound in this grace also. So guys, don't, don't just aim to do the least you can do. Right? Say, well, at least you know we, we made the effort, tick the box, it's done. He says, guys, the same effort, the same zeal that you have for these other things, uh, work on this gift of giving as well. What we tend to do, and, and, and let's, again, let's try to be realistic about this. When you know that you have an ability to do something, well, that's, by all means, use that ability. Be a blessing to other people with it. But sometimes we look at our weakness and we think, well, I know my limits. So I'm just not even going to pay any attention to that. I won't even work on getting that area of my life, uh, uh, let's say improving that area of my life. Now, all of us, guys, we, we should know our limits. We should know what we're better at, what we're not so good at. If there's somebody better at something, you know, give way. Let, let them help out. But as you go, continue to grow. And say, I may not be so good at this, but let me work on it. Let me take a class. Let me read a book. Let me ask some questions. Let Titus come in and, and I'll listen. Let me see. I may not be able to do as good as the other guys. I, I might forever and always, you know, as long as I'm alive, be a little behind these other guys that are really good at it. But let me see what I can learn. Now, you understand Paul's talking about giving. But as I mentioned at the beginning of the lesson, you can learn a much more general, broad lesson here. This could apply to anything. What area in your Christian life do you struggle with? Now, I'm not asking you to ignore your strong areas and not use them. Please, by all means. But also aim to be complete, to grow up into the fullness of the stature of Christ. 
Uh, let me give you a good cross-reference for this. Paul said in Colossians 1, verse 28, Whom we preach, so he's preaching Christ, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. You see the goal. Paul wants to give these people all the information they need so that they are well-rounded believers. All right, now back in 2 Corinthians, um, there's plenty we can say in verse 8, and I don't want to rush that. So I think we're going to stop there uh, for the evening. I see we're almost approaching the hour. This is, this is usually the time that we have Bible school. And to be honest, I have no idea who might be tuning in. I, I can see how many people are. Uh, can I offer this? It might feel a bit informal, and that's fine. I, I didn't intend for this to be a super formal type of thing. But in Bible school, I always offer that if people have questions, that they're uh, more than able to, to put something in the chat section, in the comment section. So if you have a question about anything that's been said tonight, you please feel free. Uh, there are a couple people that have left comments. Please feel free to put that into the, into the chat section now. Uh, I am going to pray and close the service or the lesson, but if I, when I'm done praying, if I see a question, then I will take a moment to, to address that. And by the grace of God, we'll continue to work our way through 2 Corinthians uh, at about the pace that you've seen tonight. All right, Father, thank you this evening. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, not just these verses, but the whole chapter, it has, Lord, it has stirred something in me. I, work on me, God. Send me a Titus. I want to learn more. I want to be a better pastor for these people, a better preacher, a better teacher, better husband, a better father, just a, a better person, Lord, a better Christian. Thank you for the wonderful examples, you, the, the great cloud of witnesses that I have all around me, both in the Bible and in my life, in our church, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, God. And Lord, I don't want to be satisfied with just doing the very least. Lord, I want to do what I can with what you gave me. Show me how to use it, Lord. I, we read tonight, they were willing of themselves. They were self-chosen. God, so here am I. Send me, Lord. If there's anything else I can do for your glory, I would be so honored. Continue to raise up people in our church that have that spiritual initiative, that they want to be partakers of this fellowship. They want to participate. Thank you, God. Thank you for stirring our hearts tonight. And I pray you'd have your hand on these people that have tuned in. I pray that you let the seed of the Word of God sink in deep and bring forth fruit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, I don't see any questions that have come in. So guys, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And Lord willing, don't forget, uh, gentlemen, Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, we have our preacher's class, 6 p.m. at Toro in the Build. So Lord willing, I'll see you guys then.